Hey everyone, just a quick note before we start the show proper. Uh, I had some severe audio issues when we were recording this episode. I've tried to clean it up the best I can. I don't think it's too bad. I think you'll get used to it after a couple of minutes, but uh, apologies if it causes you some issues uh, as you listen. So yeah, that's it. On with the show. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 131 of the InFocus podcast. I'm your host, Andy Corrigan. With me as always is Andrew Brown. Hello. And Tori Wassana. Hello. Uh, and this week we're going to talk about the uh, final Nintendo Partner Direct. Uh, we're going to talk about Pokemon Sword and Shield, the Crown Tundra DLC. Uh, we're going to touch on Pikmin 3 Deluxe Edition. And uh, No More Heroes, which had a surprise launch this week. So uh, with that, yeah, let's get on with the latest Switch news. Okay, so Nintendo surprised everyone with a uh, another partner showcase, which they claim will be their last. Um, we've got here, obviously, notes that they they said it was the final partner showcase, so that doesn't uh, rule out any other types, including Indie World, which, uh, Andrew, I think you said uh, they usually have one in December. So, yeah, so this one was definitely a surprise to me, who only found out about it today, Sunday, Australian time when we're recording. Uh, yeah, I've had a week and no one seemed to be talking about it. Uh, I watched it, like, half an hour ago, and I can kind of see why. Uh, so, yeah, so they kick things off with uh, a look at Bravely Default 2. This is uh, more of it than we've seen before. Uh, I thought the the in-game stuff looked awesome, but I was a bit concerned about the uh, the cutscenes, particularly that one right at the beginning without moving mouths and weird animations. Um, I know they're kind of leaning into that uh, classic Final Fantasy style design in all areas of the game, but I, even with the original, even though they were chibis in the game, I still sort of pictured them as normal humans <laughs> outside of... Uh, the game world, you know, as, as their canon appearance. So that was a bit jarring for me. Uh, that, of course, is coming out February 26th. Uh, they claim they've uh, taken on a lot of people's input from, from the demo. Uh, yeah, uh, still excited, though. Uh, it looks really cool. Uh, the, the world looks lovely. The combat looks great. Um, oddly, they spent a lot of time talking about uh, RPG jobs that everyone has probably played a million times in the likes of Final Fantasy and, and other similar games. Uh, so, uh, Andrew, you were excited for this one before, uh, day one for you? Oh yeah, definitely get this one. I, I agree with you uh, how off-putting the character models are uh, in a you know a big-budget HD game like this, but surprisingly the textures are actually really impressive and the cloth physics look pretty good too, so it's like these really old-fashioned like almost static characters that look like polygonal versions of Super NES Final Fantasy characters, but they have these really highly detailed fabric textures and like super shiny metal armor. It's it's an interesting effect. It's actually it's kind of similar to what they did in Octopath Traveler. It's a, another spin on that retro idea of a HD retro graphics. Uh, I'm into it actually. It it's odd looking but it's distinct yeah it's definitely got its own look uh, Tori are you getting this one I don't know um I kind of fell off the first one but I think that was more because I just cannot get into long RPGs on handheld only mm-hmm. yeah me um, too yeah I, I'm really hoping that I can get into this one because I love the battle system in the first one mm-hmm. I just the other thing is I just don't like their naming convention for their games. Because <laughs> you had Bravely Default and then Bravely Second and now Bravely Default 2. Bravely Second was meant to be like part two of the first one, hence why this is Bravely Default 2 rather than Bravely Third or whatever. Um, yeah, uh, I, I would love to know what's going on in uh, Square Enix's uh, character 
naming team at the moment because we've got uh, Final Fantasy 16 and their hero Clive uh, and uh, one of the characters in this one I noticed was Elvis <laughs> it's just, just made me laugh, I don't know why it's probably a more common name than I realise uh, it's really American names. <laughs> Elvis kind of ruined that name for people named Elvis like if you know somebody yeah. named Elvis they're named after Elvis <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that's uh, that made me laugh. Um, yeah, so next up, uh, Story of Seasons, Pioneers of Olive Town, the latest in the Story of Seasons, which uh, we've gone into this history before. Uh, the Harvest Moon slash Story of Seasons kerfuffle. Um, yeah, this one seems more of a sandboxy game this time than than the usual. Uh, I got heavy Animal Crossing vibes from it in terms of like the town building and uh, the social aspects and the actual like how you lay things out that could just be me not being that familiar with this sort of genre or this series in particular uh, coming up March 23rd uh, either of you two interested? It's not my thing for sure I'm interested but I, I'm worried about this whole like group of games that Marvelous makes personally being oversaturated by them mm -hmm. like i've got the physical version of stardew valley coming in the coming next couple of weeks i think it's supposed to arrive so i'm going to be replaying that and then there's rune factory 5 is out next year too it's already got a release date in japan for may so <laughs> the english version could be coming next year uh and then there's all kinds of like indie management games that are coming out like that Bear and Breakfast game is supposed to be out next year. I, I want to get that. So I, I'm concerned about being oversaturated in this kind of game and just getting bored with them. Uh, but tentatively interested in this one, sure. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, I think the story of the seasons ones. There's something about them that just seems screams Java game to me. They do have a very like the cheap look to them. Yeah, like the the animal models in this game are the exact same models they used in the story of seasons remake I played earlier this year. It's the exact <laughs> same character models. They've just recycled them. So <laughs> it, it's got a very cheap look, and they're definitely annualizing the game <laughs> their assets at the same time so there's going to be diminishing returns on that yeah i think if it was uh for me uh and i was interested in something like this i would just go you know i'll just try stardew again uh, definitely yeah that's as i didn't get into that i recommend if anybody's interested in a management game just a farm sim management game just jump right into stardew valley it is the definitive game it has everything <laughs> It has everything in it in one package that the other games kind of do singly. Uh, yeah, so we've got... Uh, next up was Surviving the Aftermath, uh, which uh, Andrew's labeled here as a United States 2021 simulator. <laughs> we're all going to die. Like, yeah. We're screwed either way. Oh, God. But yeah, it uh, looks interesting. Uh, whether I'm interested in this is going to fall entirely on uh, the timing and what I've played around it, because if I'm playing something that's similar and very like management heavy, then I'm probably not going to be feeling it. Um, looked kind of cool though, very expansive, and it certainly looked a lot nicer on this showing on the Switch than the other management sim they showed later on. <laughs> uh, but we'll get into that. Uh, that's scheduled for spring 2021. Uh, yeah, either of you two uh, want this one? Anything post-apocalypse themed is just not my thing. I'm so burnt out on like zombie apocalypses and nuclear aftermaths, and I'm just it. Yeah, no, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I love it, but it, it's close to the bone at this point. <laughs> <laughs> it's why I've never played a Fallout game. I'm interested but not in a way to suggest that I'm definitely going to play this. I'm just like, oh, that looks like that could be fun. And Wishlist it, yeah. see if it comes on sale. Yeah, uh, Yeah. so next up was uh, Immortals Phoenix Rising, which was the uh, rebranded Ubisoft sandbox game. 
uh, taking heavy cues from Breath of the Wild, but sort of applying it to uh, like Viking mythology and and that start, sort of stuff. I, again, this is one of those where I'm looking at it and going, I think I'd rather just replay Breath of the Wild. Um, I saw one of their trailers uh, a couple of weeks back, and it looks like you know they they took Breath of the Wild as the template, but then still stuck it in their usual uh, Ubisoft uh, methodology. You know, icons all over the map, Ubi towers, all that sort of stuff. Um, just uh, alarm bells. Isn't it weird how Breath of the Wild kind of took the Ubisoft template and simplified it and streamlined it, and then Ubisoft mm. takes it back and ruins it again? <laughs> <laughs> well, what Breath of the Wild really did was it it inverted it, where instead of you know going to the top of a tower and that reveals the icons, is you go to the top of the tower and it reveals the map, but you still have to fill in the icons yourself. That was mm-hmm. the genius yeah. thing that Breath of the Wild did that surprisingly it didn't overload you yeah it, it still encouraged the um exploration without staring at a little circle in the corner of your screen mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and like and i've played a lot of ubi sand <laughs> ubi sandbox games this year for whatever reason i just did and like i played ac odyssey assassin's creed odyssey just in the past couple months in between other games i was playing and i actually kind of liked that game's sandbox it was way too big was my main complaint about it but they, they did manage to avoid overloading me personally with just too much stuff to do like i i was overwhelmed by the size of the map but never the number of things there was to do in it so they, they seem to be tempering themselves as far as their their design excesses so i'm definitely interested in this i've i've been wanting to play this on switch just because if i can play a game on switch it's where i prefer to play it Uh, but i was Mm -hmm. concerned they seemed to be hiding the switch version like even just in this past couple weeks ubisoft gave nintendo life a very long hands-on demo with the pc version so I was like, oh, uh, is this going to be a, another Ark Survival Evolved situation here? Is this a, a port we should avoid? And then they finally showed it here in this Direct, and it looks fine. Like, obviously, the PC version looks way better, but I, I thought this was a fine-looking Switch game, and now I'm just worried about how well it runs, because <laughs> games can look fine and still chug. So yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It looked okay. I think the art style will help it a lot uh, in terms of performance. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I also don't know if that whole Ubisoft stuff at the moment is just sort of clouding me on anything that they're planning on bringing. Fair yeah. call. Yeah, I you know I've I've still not done the Breath of the Wild DLC, and I I had this situation. I think it was when. Um, Assassin's Creed Odyssey came out. Actually, I was I was gonna get that because I I just felt like I was in the mood for it. But then I was looking through my collection. There was Horizon Zero Dawn, and I hadn't played that, and it was a similar game. So I was just like, ah, oh, you know what? I'll just use that um, enthusiasm for that to go play the thing I already own, and then I never bothered with uh, Odyssey. Uh, I can see that being a similar thing here, where I just go, you know what? No, this is the kick I need to go back to Breath of the Wild and do that DLC. Um, yeah. So, yep, so that's that. Uh, definitely looks interested. Um, I'm going to keep an eye on it. Um, but yeah, just what I've seen of it so far just screams Ubisoft template. And uh, yeah, Nintendo just did it better. <laughs> uh, so we got a little sizzle reel. There was the uh, Bakugan Champions of Destroyer. Uh, this was the way forward take on it, right? They were doing a Bakugan game. Um, I can't remember if it was way forward, but it was definitely something that Nintendo promoted initially. Yeah, I'm pretty, sure, pretty sure it's way forward because everyone then was like, "Oh my god, they're making a Metroid game!" And then they had to put out a correction saying, "Nope, nope, unrelated to anything Nintendo." That's right. Uh, yeah, uh, that comes out on my birthday, November third. Ooh. Uh, not getting it. <laughs> oh. uh, Grifflands. Uh, Nintendo Switch Edition. Uh, that was the uh, roguelike card game. 
I just had a mental blank as to what that was. That's coming summer 2021. Uh, and then I alluded to it earlier, the management game that looked terrible. Uh, Tropico 6 is coming out on November 6th. Uh, yeah, that looked like a city skyline situation where it looks like sig significantly worse than the other formats that are, like not even in that usual way where people are like oh will it run on switch uh, and it's fine but it just looks a little worse this look this looks significantly worse <laughs> i admire their Based bravery on... for just posting those screenshots as an example of what the game that you should buy is because <laughs> i mean like they kind of have to because yeah. anything else is false advertising but yeah Jesus. cloudpunk uh <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. So that's that. Um, out of the three, Andrew, I'm guessing you would be more interested in Grifflands. I'm not sold on deck building roguelikes yet. Like I played Into the Spire or Slay the Spire. Slay the Spire. That's what it's called. I enjoyed that, but I haven't yet played a deck building game that where it's like clicked for me yet. So I'm looking at this mm. with some skepticism, but I did really like the art style. So, uh, if there's nothing else coming out that week, I'll probably get this, but no guarantees. Nice. Uh, then the worst two things about the Direct uh, happened, and I, I'm pretty sure these aren't coming to Australia, because, you know, yeah. Australian internet. Uh, Hitman 3 and Control Ultimate Edition are coming to the Switch, but via the cloud. Uh, yeah, I have no interest in playing these games on the cloud. I'd, like... If, if I'm going to play them in a way where they want to preserve the experience visually, I'll just play them on platforms that can preserve that appearance visually and have them locally hosted on the machine that I'm playing on. Like I, I don't want to play these games if they're not native on the console. I think if these were part of a larger service, like through xCloud or the other one, Stadia? Stadia. Remember Stadia. I mean, Stadia's problem is branding, and I don't think XCloud has a specific problem beyond just being um, cloud-based, but, yeah. like, the technology works for enough people for it to, you know, be worth the investment to them, of course. But See, yeah, I th this I think is just... The, the difference for me... Sorry to cut you off. No, you're right. Uh, uh, the thing for me there is that, um, like, with XCloud, you can choose whether you play it you know, from a nearby local device or from their servers. Yeah. So I guess what I'm trying to get at is that if this were a part of a larger service that, you know, because mm -hmm. lots of people own a Switch and another platform. Mm -hmm. So if this were viable as a sort of away from your main platform or whatever you want to call it, but I don't think it is because you're just buying another version. Like you're just buying a client that streams a video in, and I don't think yeah. that's good. The tech is good, not the implementation. I will perpetually be the old man yelling at the cloud, and <laughs> <laughs> like Andy said, like if you can get it locally, do that. Because like, yeah, I'm not being hyperbolic when I say cloud versions are the death of video games if you think that the big publishers out there especially the big biggest publishers wouldn't happily make their games only accessible through the cloud so that way the only way you can play it is on their terms they will do it <laughs> and the <laughs> the days of you know just playing a game whenever you want will be gone like if you don't have internet access you're not going to play your game and if the company decides to change something maybe majorly change something you won't have a choice we've already seen that happen uh the example i always go back to is like do you think that the super mario brothers 3 speedrunning community would exist today if nintendo had the ability to just turn the switch off whenever they wanted 30 years ago absolutely not would not have happened and that's what we're giving up and it's going to be decades before people today consumers today really see the damage of what they're doing with these digital formats and these streaming formats and just just refuse to do them refuse to participate mm -hmm. in them don't even look at them as a curiosity refuse because this is handing the keys to corporations and uh, you know we have to associate with them enough just to just to play video games we got to put up with enough of their nonsense uh, without giving them more control 
Yeah, it's like when I saw the Hitman logo, I was like, yes, because conceivably the first one of this like re rebooted series could run like, in a fashion on the Switch, I think, and that you know that thought excited me. But as soon as I saw it was Cloud, it was just uh, just one elongated sigh. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're we're, not, we're definitely not getting it down here anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the good thing um, about the Cloud is like, yeah, they're trying to push it, but. In Australia, it's not going to work most places there. In the United States, they can pretend that it's going to work here. Most places in the United States don't have good enough internet access to do this. There are still places in the U.S. that still have barely have 56K access. And like people are mm -hmm. like, oh, 5G. It's like, there are places in the United States that have no cell phone reception. None. 5G is not the solution. <laughs> no. Uh, well, it should work better in Australia because we have a more centralized population in our capital cities, but... So yeah, so Hitman is probably going to launch alongside the other versions that it wasn't specified. Control is available now. Just don't do it. Don't do it. Get on another platform. Uh, next up was uh, No More Heroes 3. They had a trailer um, and also announced that uh, No More Heroes 1 and 2 came out on the day of the direct, uh, available now, uh, ported. I think they were Wii games, weren't they? The first one was a Wii game. I think the second one was multi-platform, but mostly focused on the 360. That, that's my memory. Cool. And uh, the new one is coming out 2021, which I think we already knew anyway. Um, yeah, no, never before have I been so disinterested in an announcement trailer, but absolutely adored the announcement trailer. <laughs> <laughs> it's so utterly stylish and ridiculous in kind of that, that same way that Bayonetta really gets me, but I just can't muster any interest in these games. I don't know why. Part-time UFO was announced. This is from HAL Laboratory, creators of uh, Kirby. Um, this is a gig economy physics stacking puzzler uh, available now. So you basically play one of those like uh, skill tester UFOs and you help people stack things to solve puzzles, or try and stack the highest tower. It looked really cute, and I love the art style. Um, and I love that they went pixel art for this. Uh, definitely interested, I'm going to wishlist it. Probably can't fit it in at the moment, but yeah. Uh, definitely was cool. Uh, what do you guys think? I remember playing it on um, mobile, I think it originally came out on. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, it's charming, but it, it didn't stick with me, I don't think. It didn't grab you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought this was a Kirby game at first, because that UFO that you play as is taken straight out of the Kirby games. I think it even mm -hmm. uses some of the same animations. So I was like, oh, this is a Kirby game. And then I found out it was on iOS, and I was like, what? <laughs> but, yeah, it looked, like, fun, but I didn't buy it which means and unless it gets a deep discount I'm unlikely to buy it at this point that's just kind of how it goes with games like this <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, maybe someday Kirby's in it, he was one of the items that you could pick up mm -hmm. and King DDD I saw as well what about Box Boy? Uh, I don't remember that <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah so the, the last one was the uh, Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity which uh, every time it appears in the show notes Andrew labels it as Game of the Year Age of Calamity You can't prove I did that <laughs> Not wrong though This is uh, yeah, I, I'm half trying to avoid a lot of information on this game because I just want to play it um, and so I, I watched it without watching any of the previous stuff other than the announcement and uh, yeah I have no idea what's going on but it looks great <laughs> <laughs> uh, we uh, could see some involvement from the Divine Beast this time. Uh, seems there's levels around them. Uh, there was some first-person shooting -y bits in one of the Divine Beasts, the, uh, the flying one. And they also announced that there was a demo available today, which usually I would steer clear of until it releases, but they did say that your progress will transfer over, so I am actually downloading it now. Uh, yeah, so I don't need to ask Andrew if he's excited for it. Actually, no, I don't even need to ask Tori if, <laughs> if uh, you're excited for it either. Um, yeah, uh, 
bring it on. I'm looking forward to it. I love Tyro Warriors. Love the combat system. Happy to get more of it. I'm so keen. Uh, I did see some uh, crybabying on socials about uh, the demo and how it involves uh, time travel and how that's a cop-out <laughs> in terms of its placement as a prequel to Breath of the Wild, but, you know, the way I look at it, it's a, it's a Warriors game. It's going to have some of the usual Warriors silliness along the way. So, you know? I think it's... The, the, the reason they're doing it is to kind of bring in using the Sheikah Slate and the Tower early. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, whether it has a big consequence in the story or not, I don't know. I hope it doesn't, because it would be a really good chapter of this larger... Because I really like the, the world of Breath of the Wild, mm-hmm. and expanding it is awesome, but I don't want... Yeah, I, I just don't want that whole would redo and now it's a happy ending thing. I don't think it could possibly have a happy ending, could it? I really hope it doesn't. I'm I'm hoping it's giving like false hope just to, <laughs> to make the heart rate even worse. Well, we need to see the resolution to the entire story. That's how I feel. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I don't want to make any judgment about it. And mm-hmm. the entire Legend of Zelda series uses time travel a lot. So I'm not at all mm. fussed about it being in this game, um, and you know we'll see what happens. <laughs> I uh, yeah. yeah, I'm nervous, but I'm I'm gonna hold off on making a, a judgment yet. To be honest, like the like I say, the Warriors uh, games all have a vibe and a sense of humor, and it hadn't occurred to me at all that even though they were you know branding this as the the canon prequel to Breath of the Wild. I hadn't considered that they would leave that sort of sense of humour and silliness out of it. So, yeah, for me it's just, yeah, so what? <laughs> but, but we'll see how it pans out. Because, you know, it's still a Warriors game. It's it's not just a Zelda game. So, uh, yeah. It feels much more... Sorry, one last point. The characters feel much different than in the original Warriors, uh, Hyrule Warriors <laughs> game as well. Yeah. Like they feel much more complex and um, yeah, that, that's pretty much it. Um, Impa, I don't know how to use, but <laughs> it's awesome. Zelda's really creative, but um, it, it doesn't feel like a sequel to the first one in that in that it's like a just copying the gameplay. It feels like they've really fleshed out, making the characters really different. Other than Link, who's just Link. <laughs> the 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 thing the trailer did for me was actually uh give me hope that uh Rivali might get you know the the respect he deserves this time he was my favorite I love Rivali <laughs> out of the original and he gets a lot of unwarranted hate so that's that that's the direct um we look forward to seeing what Nintendo spring on us next could be another Nintendo direct could be something Mindy's related uh, I guess we'll see. Okay, it's time to talk about what we've been playing in the last week. Uh, first up is Pokemon Sword and Shield, the Crown Tundra DLC. Um, yeah, I still haven't picked up the previous DLC yet, so uh, yeah, not one I can talk about. Uh, Andrew, you've been playing it. Tori, have you? I tried. I just got into my first battle and I'm like, I don't really want to do this. <laughs> I'm sorry. That is also the reaction I had. <laughs> because when you get into the Crown Tundra, almost immediately you're you're shoved into this thing called the Max Raid Adventures where you're required to do Max Raids against Dynamaxed Pokemon and I have made no secret of my lack of being impressed with the Dynamax feature so like all this emphasis put on it right away I was like ugh because I do not care about Dynamaxing I do not care about the Max Raid battles and to do anything in this DLC you first have to do this Max Raid adventure where you team up with three AI players or three human players and you go through a succession of four different battles four different Dynamax battles 
and you only get rental Pokemon. You can't use your own Pokemon in these fights. Mm. Yeah. What? And like, if you like the Pokemon you just beat, then you can catch it in a Pokeball, and you can swap out the rental you're using for that Pokemon and take it into the next fight. And then if you get to the end of the chain of fights, then the last chain is against one of the legendaries because the Crown Tundra is all about legendary Pokemon. I think they've brought back every single legendary Pokemon in the series so far for the Crown Tundra. Uh, if they don't appear in a quest line in some way, then they'll be in the max raid battles and you can you can get them all if you're persistent. And I, I personally feel this kind of cheapens the legendary Pokemon. I'm not real impressed with this entire DLC built around legendary Pokemon. It's like, ugh. Just let Mewtwo be back in Gen 1. It's fine. <laughs> but clearly I am on a completely different wavelength for most people who play Pokemon. They love this stuff. Uh, but once you've done the max raid adventure, then it lets you actually get out and explore this new sandbox. It pairs you up with this character named Peony, who is totally not Chairman Rose's brother, even though he's also named after <laughs> a flower and looks just like him. Um... And he sets you up with three different quests. There's a quest for the King of Bountiful Harvests, who is the new legendary Pokemon for this Sword and Shield DLC, and also the Legend of the Giants, where you have to explore this sandbox, find four different temples, solve a puzzle to get inside of them, and then the the Regigigas giants are inside of them. There are three different kinds, and then there's like a, a fourth one that is the combination of the first three it's kind of a whole sentai thing um and then there's the tree for the legendary birds where you find this tree that has articuno zapdos and moltres hanging out and they run off and they actually go off to each of the different wild areas so you also have to revisit the main game's wild area and the isle of armor to to finish that quest chain and this whole thing is, is much more interesting to me than the max rate adventures because I'm actually getting out to the world, I'm actually doing things, I'm using my team of Pokemon that I've been using for the past 40 hours. Uh, just a lot more interesting. And uh, I've done the King of Bountiful Harvests so far, which was a pretty interesting quest chain. It was very straightforward, very fetch questy, but I enjoyed the story it told. And... Uh, it was a cool fight at the end to fight this this Pokemon that you helped reunite with its steed and then to capture it. So I did enjoy that at least. And in the Isle of Armor there were some Alolan Diglets you could find and the more of them you found then this trainer back in the first area would hook you up with Alolan Pokemon. There is something very similar to that here in the Crown Tundra. Uh, but it's involved, again, with legendary Pokemon, <laughs> where you find their <laughs> tracks in the ground, and it starts building towards this total clue list that you have, and if you can find 100% of the clues associated with one of the three legendaries here, then that legendary will appear, and you can catch it. I'm assuming these are the three legendary dogs from Gold and Silver, because it's very similar to how that system worked in that game uh, but I haven't found them all yet so I haven't gotten anywhere with that and as for the Crown Tundra sandbox itself it's more compact than the Isle of Armor was uh, but it's also a little more maze-like I felt like I had to explore it more whereas the Isle of Armor everything was so interconnected uh, that I just felt like I could just wander around and I would end up at some place eventually. Like, to find the temples in this, I really had to look for them, which was nice. Um, so there's kind of a contrast in the amount of exploration and the amount of footwork you have to do between the two. And, like, I'm imagining a Pokemon sequel that is just a succession of these smaller sandboxes of, like, the... Uh, Isle of Armor Wild Area and the Crown Tundra Wild Area each have their own story. They have their own little town to heal in. They have their own local Pokemon. If that's what the next Pokemon game is, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be okay with that. And that seems to be what they're building towards. So, 
the crown tundra is its own thing and pretty neutral towards it <laughs> yeah it definitely feels like they're they were experimenting in this one with a view to taking the series forward um like it's one of those series where i think if they changed everything out the gate like it's that sort of series where the fans would not like that very much um but yeah uh oh well, uh, so a bit of a mixed experience then for all, all the three deals sorry the two dlcs and, and the main game um yeah all, all things combined could be one hell of a game for the next proper entry uh so next up uh, let's talk about no more heroes tori uh so yeah i've never played it i know the main character's name because it's ridiculous <laughs> um and i know he has a lightsaber well yeah they call it a beam katana um, because trademarks <laughs> trademarks <laughs> um and uh and the way you charge it is very lewd yeah he, he pretty much just starts shaking it between his legs anyway <laughs> That's a good um, initial impression. Uh, so it pretty much throws you right in the deep end with uh, the whole premise of it. Um, Travis Touchdown, as he's called, he wins his beam katana on an online auction and um, just gets thrown into the world of uh, assassins because apparently that's the sort of when you own this thing that you're an assassin. Uh, he kills number 11 on the top. I think it's meant to be the top 10, but you kill 11 first in a cutscene. Okay. And uh, then you get contacted and said... Like, he didn't even really mean to do it. He just got in a bar fight, I think, and wins. And then he gets contacted and goes... He's told, you killed number 11, you're on the list. You have to go kill number 10, which you do. You invade his home, basically, and kill all his henchmen and and knock him off and then you realize that you've kind of been set up and that somebody wants these people killed but you can't back out because you're number 10 on the list and there's always going to be number 11 behind your back now much like you were with the the last top 10 he's not really doing it for noble reasons like he's he pretty much just wants to impress and eventually sleep with the uh i guess she's like a commissioner of all of this um so he, he's not doing it because he wants to rid the world of assassins or anything. He's just doing it because there might be something in it for him. Which kind of flows, it tracks with the whole humour and presentation of, of everything. Um, Travis is a big otaku. Uh, his apartment's full of figurines and posters. Before he, he leaves to go on a mission, he just, he's got some... I think it's like some witch anime poster in his room and he just puts his hands on it and looks at the camera and goes, Moe. <laughs> it's a bit much. <laughs> I think that's, um, is it Suda 51? Mm-hmm. That's his style of humor. Is that sort of just the, the fourth wall isn't broken. It's never there. <laughs> um, but I, I've only played the... I've only killed um, up to number nine at the moment, and it's it, it very slowly kind of teaches you what the, the sort of gameplay loop of the game is. Um, so obviously you're trying to go up this list and you're killing the next assassin on that list, but um, you have to put up money to, um, to enter, I guess, because they have to set up the fight between you and the other assassin. I think it's meant to be some sort of play on capitalism. I'm I'm too early in it to really know what they're trying to say with it, but yeah, you have to uh, do part-time jobs and other assassinations to earn money, to earn the right to fight in the next one. It's a sort of open world. Like the yeah, that, that that's how I've always viewed it as like an open worldy action game. Yeah, the open world is more like a transition between levels, though. Yeah, I always mm-hmm. thought um, it was like more of a parody of open worlds than an actual open world. Yeah, uh, you, you don't really do anything in the open world other than go between missions and do other functions. So in a way, it really didn't need to be an open world yeah. game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are given a bike, um, 
If you see on my Twitter, I had an extraordinary experience with that bike. Um, if, if you reverse, because it's very easy to get stuck on waltz. So if you reverse and then accelerate, he does a wheelie and you can't steer when you're doing a wheelie. And he just slams back into the wall that I was trying to avoid. <laughs> um, it's very much a game of its time. I, I feel like this would be a 2006-2007 era game mm-hmm. uh, the gameplay yeah it, it's definitely got that level of clunkiness to it it doesn't feel like a very fluid combat um, that's not a deal breaker for me though like it's still very playable but playing games like um, I've been playing Doom Eternal lately where it's just non-stop there's nothing in the game that really gets in the way of you playing you're just constantly moving yeah but in Doom Eternal, the bloke gets in the way of the game. <laughs> not a fan. Oh, man. Um, whether you hate it or not, you, you can't deny that the, the gameplay is just fluid. Um, nah, so I didn't find that in the in Doom Eternal. Really? Do, yeah, Doom 1 felt like an, uh, a rhythm action game at times, whereas in uh, Doom Eternal, it felt like there was no rhythm. Yeah, it's it's uh, less yeah. the rhythm, it's just more of the you're always doing something and the game doesn't really stop and then let you yeah. get... It, like, Glory Kills are the closest thing, but they still feel fluid enough, whereas No More Heroes has its own version of Glory Kills in a way, where once you get a guy down to zero, you tap the, um, the right stick. I'm playing on Pro Controller. Mm-hmm. You tap the right stick in the direction that it tells you, and he does like a finishing move. And some of these guys have literally no health and you have to do it for like every single guy that you fight that gets in the way a lot like it's stop start Mm -hmm. stop start stop start and not not every finishing move will kind of because the finishing moves involve swinging a katana you'd think that sometimes that would hit another person while you're trying to finish one target and that's Mm -hmm. not always the case because sometimes they're just like vertically up or down slices and that's just going to hit the one person so that's frustrating because you, you you can be fighting upwards of like 10 guys at once uh so that's stop start is getting in the way um again it's not to deal breaking levels yet but i anticipate that it might be but i'm also told that you can level up travis's combat uh, i i haven't found that yet but hopefully that all kind of help with the, the the fluid nature of what should be a, a hack and slash I guess if you'd call it a hack and slash beat them up mm-hmm. yeah it, it's don't go in expecting like an amazing game I think this has not aged as well as people have, would say it would have it, it does feel like it the game gets in the way of itself a lot um, but one I, I'm aiming to finish this so I can move on to the second one and hoping that that's got some some improvements um, before number three comes out. Yeah, just don't know what it is. They've just never captured me or given me anything uh, that made me want to play it. Um, which is weird because, you know, I do, I do like these weird over-stylish uh, things. I, I did also like uh, Travis's um, faux Joy Division t-shirt <laughs> in the trailer. Uh, yeah. So that's No More Heroes. <clears throat> uh, so the last game we're going to talk about, of course, is uh, Pikmin 3 uh, Deluxe Edition. Um, I'm only a couple of missions deep so far. Tori, how far are you in? I'm about 10 days in, I think. Uh, and Andrew? I'm doing the final boss right now, which is uh, <laughs> takes a couple Jesus. in-game days to get done. Wow. Okay. Um, so yeah, so Pikmin, uh, I've never played a, a Pikmin game before, uh, I skipped this on Wii U, uh, Tori, I think you've played them before? I've bounced off them several times, um, okay. management games are just not my, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Andrew, uh, I think I saw you tweet that you've definitely played the first one. I've played the first one, I yeah, prefer the first one for a number of reasons maybe we can talk about at the 
at the end. Uh, but uh, yeah. So yeah. So the story for this one is that uh, three uh, astronauts, uh, not content with the race destroying their home planet, have decided to travel to other planets to destroy those as well. Um, no, not really. They're, they've run out of food, and they're going to go looking for food, which is kind of the same thing. Um, so the the planet they're from is called Kapai. Uh, the astronauts are Alf, Charlie, and Brittany, uh, ABC. Uh, and they land on a planet called PNF404. Uh, surprised there wasn't anything there, you know, 404 era. Uh, that's a little IT humor for you. <laughs> um, and... Uh, yeah, so they're searching for, for food to save their civilization, which is fruit. Uh, when they arrive, the, something happens with the ship, they all get separated, so you sort of pick up the story there, and you, you, in the early missions at least, you bounce between the, the three characters until they all sort of rendezvous, um, which is when the game really picks up its scope and shows its true colors, which is just the point. I've got to, and that's where the the whole management thing really comes into to focus. Uh, so they use these creatures called Pikmin. Uh, they are weird little plant creatures, uh, all of different varieties and colors. Uh, each one has its own strengths. So the early ones you'll get are uh, yellow, which didn't seem to do a whole lot in the opening mission. Uh, red. Uh, and stone ones who can smash glass and hard materials. Uh, and the gameplay revolves around you uh, collecting these Pikmin, uh, getting more of them through finding resources and having them taken back to something they call the onions. Uh, and then, yeah, you go around and you throw them at things to solve puzzles. Uh, yeah, so you're battling wildlife, you're battling time, because uh, it's all uh, done on a day-night cycle. If any Pikmin are out at night, they will get eaten. Uh, yeah, and you got to find the fruit to survive. It gets turned into juice back on the ship in between every day. Uh, they'll consume some, so there's, there's that sort of management element happening as well. Uh, yeah, so I just have this impression that this game is going to annoy me. And I can't put my finger on why yet. I know what you mean. I think because it's it's weird because I, I I like the um, the aesthetic. It plays fine. I I just feel like yeah something's gonna just bug the hell out of me. And yeah, that's just it's just a gut feeling. I've got nothing, no real evidence to base that on just yet. But uh, yeah, ga- games of the silk I can tend to find tiring, and maybe that's the the vibe i'm getting i think the day night cycle might be playing into that because Mm -hmm. you kind of feel like once you start a day you're obliged to finish the day and you want to try and pack as much in and that can get a bit i mean it's not hard to do but it's still like mentally exhausting to just keep track of so many things at once it's Mm -hmm. it's something that i typically don't like in a game but i'm i'm having a better time of it here than I have had in like Pikmin 1 and 2 weirdly mm-hmm. enough and I think it's because you've got the, the three different um, characters that you can kind of split up into squads mm-hmm. that helps a lot I don't have that issue because like you're supposed to maximize the amount of time like your efficiency of what you're doing each day you're supposed to divide your Pikmin up into squads you're supposed to be doing multiple things at a time on the map, so that way you can get things done as fast as you can. I just don't bother doing it. Like, if I mm-hmm. am trying to use a group of Pikmin to knock down a wall, I just sit there and just watch them do it. And, like, you have your three different astronauts total that you can divide into three different groups on the map if you really want to. I don't. I just have all three together at once, and I'll only split them up if a puzzle requires it. Because this game gives you plenty of time to do everything you need to do, and the fruit mechanic, there's so much fruit, it's it's not impossible, but it's really hard to spend more days on the planet than, than you need to finish 
the puzzles to quote unquote complete the game like you know finish your main task of finding your your hyperdrive key that lets you get back home with all the fruit you've recovered like i'm at the final boss now and i have like 35 reserve days of fruit juice left where i could just spend all day just doing absolutely nothing <laughs> and hmm. i could last a month plus <laughs> i think it must be a thing of how they're emphasizing it then yeah because i felt like the pressure was on right at the start but um maybe they were just doing that to to teach what you're meant to be doing there is definitely an aspect to this game of you can maximize your efficiency and you can finish the game in probably like eight or nine days or whatever it takes i i I haven't studied the speed running for this game but i'm sure people have gotten it down so they can finish it in like a week of in-game days or something like that but i just i just Mm -hmm. don't even stress about that i just take it one task at a time uh and there's plenty of time in every day to do that if you do one significant thing each day you'll keep yourself stocked up with plenty of fruit even if it's just like building a bridge knocking down a wall uh, clearing out a large group of enemies or finishing one of the boxes like just do one thing a day and then just spend the rest of the day either just exploring so you know your way around the map or knocking down seeds so that way you have a, a really low intensity way of restoring your pikmin supplies like this is a really in spite of its genre you know like the time management genre this is a really laid back game if you let it be there's no reason to stress i think i needed to hear that because i've been going in like i haven't done enough this day no but like i i yeah because i've got like 15 fruit reserves oh that's plenty <laughs> i'm only like yeah. like i said i'm fighting the final boss right now i'm only on like day 24 or something like that so like, oh. you could yeah i'm on day 10 so yeah so you're there already like you're where i am right now <laughs> oh uh, so um so my, my idea of the structure in this was that you would um you know each day is a level is that not how it works then can you you can like do more progress towards the end goal than i think early you know, on it's in- pretty structured Yep. Like it wants you to do a certain amount of tasks a day and then it will just go now, just leave. Mm-hmm. But then it starts throwing multiple things at you and you can get them all done. And as Andrew's saying, you can get some of them done or just one of them done. As okay, that definitely makes me feel better. Yeah. Right, it, it feels like there's pressure on and like that's what's been putting me off from really getting stuck into it. But if I can back off a bit, because mm-hmm. yeah the, the days are levels and i guess the areas are stages if that's not confusing enough <laughs> yeah i think i think okay then i've definitely got a misunderstanding of uh, the game structure because yeah it definitely did seem like there was uh, an open world of sorts in or at least in now the areas are linked am i completely misreading this i don't know I feel like the first two levels are connected, at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, the stages. Um, yeah, I can't say for sure. One of the items you'll find in some of the boss battles are cell phones, basically. That'll increase the range of your communicator, uh, so you can go yeah. to further away areas between levels when you're flying away in your ship. So, no, the levels are not interconnected. Okay, uh, good. Yes, yeah, so I... I, I haven't hit any uh, boss fights yet but I believe they're a thing yep um, I think I've fought maybe like two or three and it seems to be some sort of boss battle mode as well in this okay uh, so do the boss battles are they puzzly are they still done in the management thing like are you sending your, your Pikmin here there and everywhere for the things to beat the bosses how does that work uh, so the bosses that I've fought, it's it's not really like squad based or anything like that. You you typically just have the one guy running around with the, every Pikmin, and you're just picking the right Pikmin to battle the the specific boss's weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them might be armored with uh, like a crystal or glass, so you want rock Pikmin to break it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the yellow Pikmin are good at digging and there's a boss that's in a like a sand trap arena yep um and they, some of them can pick up the like little bomb rocks and it will split them up into their own Pikmin type as well in your uh, when you do the bumpers to switch between which Pikmin you're going to throw mm-hmm. so yeah it, it's I don't think there's a wrong way to play any boss, but there's like a more efficient way to beat every boss. Okay. The, the bo- bosses are yeah. definitely more puzzle than... Uh, yeah. What's the word I want to use here? Like real-time strategy, like management. <laughs> more puzzle-focused, mm. I would say. With this... Uh, so your goal is actually to get the cosmic drive key, or at least that seems to be the thing at the moment. Yeah, which is the thing that allows them to fly further uh, in space and back to their home planet. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely interested in seeing how it pans out, but yeah, I just had that concern that I was going to find it like a tiring experience and then I was just not going to enjoy it uh, from that perspective. Obviously based on you know, my hit-and-miss experience with those sorts of time management games before. Um, but like, I, like I said, I definitely love the aesthetic. I... I the visuals are wonderful. I love the humor of, uh, you know, throwing these tiny little things at problems. Um, <laughs> it's like, I don't know how to solve this. I'll just throw something at it. Uh, yeah. So, you know, there's a lesson in there somewhere. Um, so this re-release, it's the deluxe edition for a reason, comes with some other things. Now, I'm not sure exactly what of these things were in the original or whether it's all new content but uh, there's side stories which I guess is new content, missions which I would just be sing- single one-off missions and bingo battle. I think bingo battle is your um, multiplayer Ah, uh, okay um, I don't have anyone to play that one with <laughs> I was going to say, that's why I don't know about that one then um, yeah, sorry Andrew you are going to say something? Well the missions uh, give you timed challenges in small areas and a specific number of Pikmin to work with. So you got a lot of finesse to finish those. Yeah. <laughs> and the, okay. the side <laughs> stories are an introduction and an epilogue to the game that were in the original game as DLC, I think. I'm not sure. Uh, they might be new. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I haven't played them yet, but the general consensus from the reviews I looked at seem to be that they are fine, but unnecessary <laughs> yeah um, and the bingo battle is actually kind of interesting it gives you a, a bingo card and you have to finish a bingo like you know a straight line on it by yep. capturing the item that it shows on there with your group of Pikmin and you got to beat the other person to doing that and you may be competing over the same thing or you can just interfere with what they're trying to capture just 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 to be a troll so <laughs> it actually seems like an interesting an interesting mode if you have somebody to play it with. Nice. Uh, so yeah. Uh, and Andrew, I believe you're keen for a Pikmin 1 and 2 port. Yeah, like I said a few episodes back that I played this and I was largely indifferent towards it. That's kind of how I'm feeling about it now. I was like, yeah, I played this. It's a fine game, but I just I prefer the first two, especially the first one because the first one Quite apart from just being simpler, there was just three varieties of Pikmin to work with, and I think that's less to manage, and they could have simpler but more dynamic puzzles because they're working with fewer moving parts, which I just liked, and also the first game, I just like its structure much better. You get 30 days to finish the game, that's it, because... Olimar, who is the protagonist of the first game and the second game, he crash lands on this planet, the same planet that this one is set on, and his ship gets pretty messed up when it crash lands, so the goal of that game is to get all of your parts back for your ship, and so it can be space-worthy again, and so Olimar can get home. And you don't need to get all of the parts, there are just a, a set of parts that you're required to get, but you can get all the parts for 100% completion, but it's not like the juice in this game where you get fruit and it gives you more time to finish your goals. Like, you get 30 days, and that's it. 
and I think like the speedrunning community has gotten it down to like six days or something like that to finish. Yeah, Jeez. it's pretty impressive what they can do with that because it really does push that efficiency thing. You know, where you have multiple groups of Pikmin doing multiple things in different areas. Uh, but I suspect you two would not like the first game as much as I do because it. it sounds like that time pressure is going to affect you <laughs> pretty badly <laughs> uh, but I appreciated it for just having a simpler premise and a more straightforward goal and just having a straight time limit 30 days that's it or game over yeah, it depends on the game yeah. as well because like uh, you, you get games like Dead Rising where you have you know your, your same thing where it's like definite hard uh, endpoint in terms of time frame um, but the game's actually quite short so the idea is you will keep yeah. replaying it and then you'll re you know reapproach it with with the same skills that you kept from your first first go and that sort of thing Dead uh, that's fine kind of I love that isn't it? <laughs> yeah it is um, and like how I approached that game was like okay well I'm just going to do a story run and then I would do that and then the next one that's when I would start like expanding my scope out you know trying to help civilians more and you know it, it sort of just helped me it's one of those few games where i happily replayed it like several times on the bounce just because there was so many different ways to approach using your time um and then like even then like when the dead rising 4 came out i was like yay finally one without the timer and then you know what i kind of yeah. missed it <laughs> <laughs> so there are there are exceptions to that that time pressure but yeah um, that time pressure is definitely a factor in something like Stardew. So. <laughs> yeah, but even it, back uh, in Pikmin 1, I, I think there were fewer than 30 parts. So like, even if you just focus on just getting one part a day, if that's all you do, if you make that your goal, mm -hmm. you know, versus the goal of doing everything that I possibly can and just stressing yourself out, it's still manageable. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's how you approach things. Yeah, I mean, that's a whole discussion in yourself in ways that you can ruin games for yourself. Uh, like on, on the big open world games, such as the Ubisoft ones we spoke about earlier, like if there's a system where I, you know, highlight all the missions on a map, then I have to methodically work my way through all the rubbish missions first before I do the fun ones. <laughs> um, and then that is just absolute not the way, the optimum way to play a game for fun, but I can't help myself, I just have to do it that way. Uh, Spider-Man on PS4 I would just do all the collection missions yeah, and all those side stuff before I even bothered with the next I went and did every one uh, of those stupid backpacks before I played anything else in yes. Spider-Man <laughs> yes, exactly exactly um, so yeah so yeah, it's, it's a, those little ways you can ruin games for yourself if you approach them in certain ways which they allow you to do um, yeah so yeah, I look more look forward more to delving in. Uh, so part of the reason I haven't, I didn't play it earlier was because uh, I've been playing Paper Mario still on my lunch break, which is like half an hour to 40, 45 minutes a day. Uh, I've just got to Bowser's Castle, so I'm about to fell the green ribbon, uh, and then I believe there's another little chapter after that. I am finding the end of this game a real slog. Um, just uh, in in the area i'm in the the rainbow springs game show thing i loved aesthetically but was just boy was that just a big wall just to stop me from progressing um yeah it just felt like artificial game lengthening because because why not <laughs> uh, i feel like that game would have been much more palatable with just you know three ribbons and the end game uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm having such a mixed time with that. Um, and I'm still progressing through Transformers on my Switch Lite. I've just hit Cybertron. Uh, and I don't think I'm that far off finishing it. I think there's four acts and I'm on the fourth now. So uh, that should be done soon uh, ahead of Empire of Sin, which I absolutely cannot wait for. So yeah, so that's where I am. Uh, and I think that's it for this episode. Okay, folks, what are we playing next week? Uh, Tori, we'll start with you. Um, well, now that I kind of know the 
the pace that I can set for myself in Pikmin 3, more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, also hoping to finish No More Heroes so I can move on to the second one as soon as possible. Nice. Andrew? Uh, there's a game coming out called Pixel Puzzle Makeout League, which is a dating sim with pie cross puzzles. I gotta play this, I mean... <laughs> this is my brand, this is my alley, I am back on my bullshit, I'm playing this. <laughs> uh, and I'll be striving to finish Paper Mario, because I want it out of my life at this point. <laughs> um, I'm harsh, I like it when I'm playing it, but it's just... Uh, th- this last part, it just feels like treacle. <laughs> um, and... Uh, yeah, uh, I'll have Transformers finished in the next day or so, I think. And, uh, yeah, Pikmin after that. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to put more time into Pikmin until Paper Mario's out of the way, because I just don't want to get this mental block of a big backlog of unfinished stuff. Uh, yeah, and then I'll be saving myself for uh, Hyrule Warriors. Yes. <laughs> So that's it for episode 131. Uh, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps us to get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, Spotify, and other podcast services. Make sure to check out our sister shows, uh, PlayState and Power of X. No prizes for guessing what those shows are about. We're all part of the Game Podular network. You can join our Discord server to interact with the lively Game Podular community. You can follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and at GamePodular.com for updates, news, and other content. Links for all that are in the show notes. If you want to support the network, and therefore us, you can buy us a coffee or become a Game Podular Patreon. Details for all those things are on our website. Thanks in advance. Uh, this episode was edited by me, Andy Corrigan. You can follow me on Twitter at FlameRoastToast. Uh, and on Twitter you can also follow the other two. Uh, <laughs> Andrew is at PlayCritically. And Tori is at Stew2. That's S-T-W-T-W-O. Stew2. That's S-T-W-T-W-O.